Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 139. Under the trees, the snow was little more than a dusting, which crunched underfoot. He was deeply grateful for the chemical hand and feet warmers, which kept his extremities from freezing. Beyond that, he was numb. Heart numb. Mind numb. Soul numb. And the numbness, he realized, went a long way down and a long way back. So what do I want? he asked himself. He couldn't answer, so he just kept on walking, a step at a time, on and on through the woods. Trees looked familiar. Moments of landscape were perfectly deja vu'd. Could he be walking in circles? Maybe he could just walk and walk and walk until the warmers and the candy bars ran out, and then sit down and never get up again. He reached a large stream, of the kind the locals called a creek, and pronounced crick, and decided to follow it. Streams led to rivers, rivers all led to the Mississippi, and if he kept walking, or stole a boat, or built a raft, eventually he'd get to New Orleans where it was warm, an idea which seemed both comforting and unlikely. There were no more helicopters. He had the feeling that the ones that had passed overhead had been cleaning up the mess at the freight train siding, not hunting for him, otherwise they would have returned. There would have been tracker dogs and sirens and the whole paraphernalia of pursuit. Instead, there was nothing. What did he want? Not to get caught. Not to get blamed for the deaths of the men on the train. It wasn't me, he heard himself saying. It was my dead wife. He could imagine the expressions on the faces of the law officers. Then people could argue about whether he was crazy or not while he went to the chair. He wondered whether Wisconsin had the death penalty. He wondered whether that would matter. He wanted to understand what was going on and to find out how it was all going to end. And finally, producing a half-rueful grin, he realized that most of all he wanted everything to be normal. He wanted never to have gone to prison, for Laura to still be alive, for none of this ever to have happened. I'm afraid that's not exactly an option, my boy, he thought to himself in Wednesday's gruff voice, and he nodded agreement. Not an option. You burned your bridges, so keep walking. Do your own time. And that's our page. The page answers one of the questions I was asking yesterday. If Shadow was going to be allowed to escape, why the copters and such? Shadow assumes probably correctly that if they were there to find him, there would be a lot more flyovers and other sorts of methods of tracking him down. If the spook show really wanted to find him, it could find him. So it may have moved up their plans a little bit and cost them several men, but Shadow's where he needs to be, more or less. Shadow thinks about being grateful for the chemical warmers, but otherwise feels numb, specifically his heart, his mind, and his soul. He also realizes that he's felt this way for quite some time, though we don't get a time frame for that. My guess is it goes back at least three years to when he went to prison, but what do we really know about his and Laura's relationship at this point? Not a whole lot. There's the puppy story, the fact that Shadow went to prison for Laura, they're married, and they met on a blind date via Audrey and Robbie, and really, that's all we've got up to this point in the novel. What exactly is it that got them married? How many dates did they go on? How many months were they dating? Was it a small ceremony? Did they elope and go to Vegas? There's there's just a lot of details we don't get, and so I think it makes it harder to understand their relationship Shadow thinks early on about how much he loved Laura when he was in prison, but as of this reading, I, I'm starting to really wonder how much they knew each other, or how much they even loved each other at all. 
it makes me also then wonder if Shadow's been numb for a good deal of their relationship, which I don't think is entirely a fair assessment to make, at least insofar as much as how much we know about the novel. We're not given any real... We're not really given any detail about their relationship proper. So to make to make assumptions about their relative fictional happiness seems a bit forward. I've been depressed since I was probably 11 or 12, and thus I've been depressed more or less every day in my courtship and marriage with my wife. Even when we were on our honeymoon to Hawaii, there were still moments of depression peeking through the amazing ability to just kind of sit on the beach and chill. But it doesn't mean I'm any less happy or satisfied with our relationship. It just means that I am depressed and anxious and also that I'm married. So Shadow could have been in the same boat or the, as the TV show suggests, even Laura could be in the same boat. It's it's hard to tell because we just don't get those details, at least not yet in the novel. Though honestly, I don't know that we ever do. Their relationship is not presented in excruciating detail that I can remember. However, we're only 140 some pages, oh, nope, 139 pages into the novel. So let's keep an eye on it going forward, see what happens. At the top of the page, and further down the page as well, Shadow starts considering what he wants, similar to how he asked Laura what she wanted. And so I'm wondering if this is a hint that he considers himself a member of The Walking Dead, not the far too long-running AMC TV series, or the even more too long-running comic book series, but if he considers himself just a dead man walking at this point, which given how depressed he is and how traumatized he is, isn't entirely outside the realm of possibility. He does also consider that he could stop moving when the warmers run out of heat and he's out of candy bars, but he doesn't. And the way the book describes how he walks... Um, kept on walking a step at a time, on and on through the woods. And that's kind of how he's dealing with his life at this point as well. He's just putting one foot in front of the other, and working with Wednesday and traveling with Wednesday is a method for him to do that. I don't think it's any more complex than that. I think this also indicates that somewhere deep down, Shadow is not ready to die yet. He's not... He's not the kind of person who's going to die for no reason, even if the no reason is a crushing depression after the death of his wife. Shadow decides to follow a stream and starts fantasizing about heading south, similar to how he did when he was walking to the Motel America from Laura's grave. He doesn't consider heading all the way to the tip of South America this time, but considers New Orleans as a warm destination. He acknowledges that it's just a fantasy, whoa, and continues to walk. He also thinks about how all rivers lead to the Mississippi, and I, I guess that's true in its own way. I'm not 100% sure that's accurate, but I found a couple of maps, including one from a 2016 National Geographic article. So there are a number of bodies of water that lead from Wisconsin into the, into the Mississippi, so I guess I can save my pedantry for another page. Shadow wonders idly if Wisconsin has the death penalty, which has echoes of his discussion with Loki as to when the last time a man was hanged in the unnamed state they were incarcerated in, and the last time someone was executed in the state of Wisconsin was 1853. Only one man was executed in Wisconsin's history as a state, John McCaffrey, who was hanged from the neck until dead on August 21st, 1851. Of course, we could have a larger discussion of how many people were killed by police officers and other members of the state military. But 
I think that's a different discussion for a different podcast in a different day. Shadow, having ruminated for a bit on what he wants out of the world, realizes that he just wants to understand and to know how everything is going to end. And I think this is an interesting thought within the context of a novel, especially as Shadow's already been giving a couple prophecies and predictions. But, of course, prophecies are rarely ever useful in the moment and typically only become clear with hindsight. Plus, as we know about Shadow, he's not typically the type to believe in a prophecy from a coin-operated fortune teller or any other source. But endings... Endings is a concept of a story, not life, unless, of course, there's the ultimate ending, which is death. The novel will end where it does, and that's it. But from Shadow's perspective, ending would mean death. And Shadow's experiences have already taught him, at least somewhat, that death isn't even necessarily the end. The exact phrase on the page is to find out how it was all going to end. And, well, Shadow... Check your pockets for the House on the Rock card, because that's as close as you're going to get to knowing, in your quote-unquote real world, at least. Shadow also realizes he wants everything to be normal. He wants that moment of sleep and torture-induced amnesia to be real, and he'll wake up tomorrow in bed with Laura, who is no longer a revenant. He would never have gone to prison. But Wednesday's voice enters his head, which I wonder if it's Shadow's thoughts in Wednesday's voice, or maybe based on who we meet on the next page, if it's a message that Wednesday is sending to Shadow in some way. Hmm, I don't know. The word creek, which Shadow notes is pronounced by locals as crick, is a fairly American word. I didn't realize it was a North American phrase more than anything, although it does look like it does show up in in, uh, New Zealand and Australia, parts of that part of the world. But for the most part, it's considered a North American phrase. It just means a small river or other similar body of water. Crick is not something that I think I've ever thought about. I do know people who pronounce it crick, though, so that's a thing. That was mostly in the, in parts of Massachusetts where I grew up, but I'm sure people where I live now probably would also pronounce it as such. And then there's the phrase, burned your bridges, which Shadow thinks, and it's an old military strategy, or it's a callback to an old military strategy. Basically, you need to leave yourself an out. If a military marched through a country and burned the bridges as they went, if they ever had to retreat, they would be fucked. So, of course, it's now more commonly used in a figurative manner, but I'm going to consider all possible meanings as this cold war between the old and the new gods heats up. Finally, and I do mean finally as I've just jumped over 12 minutes recording time, Shadow thinks about doing his own time again, and... So this makes me wonder, are the only prisons that Shadow really needs to worry about at this point the ones that he puts himself in? He's definitely thinking himself into, well, basically into a prison of the mind. He's he's really depressed, he's really anxious, he's ready to die on the page. And so it's just one of those things I want to consider. Shadow left prison, certainly, but he's also constructing his own prisons as he goes, which is definitely not ideal. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetale at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme song. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember, only the gods are real. <laughs>